This is Street Signals, a weekly conversation about markets and macro brought to you by State Street Global Markets. I'm your host, Tim Graff, Head of Macro Strategy for EMEA at State Street, based in London. This week, we return to a well that never seems to run dry, the all-important topic of inflation. There has been some decent evidence that after nearly two years of eye-watering inflation numbers, things are looking a little less worrisome. We see this from the panel of online retailer price indices and inflation rates that we produce and present to our clients in partnership with price stats. And in these indicators, we see inflation rates in many countries moving back into line with what would be considered normal, at least in the very short run. It's coming through as well in some of the official data in many, but not every economy. Um, The improvements we've seen are maybe slower than what we were hoping for, but they are improvements nonetheless. However, there's always a however, Over the last few weeks, we've also seen surprise rate hikes from the RBA and the Bank of Canada. And that's after we were thinking the rate hiking cycles in both of those economies were over. This week, actually, we saw both the Fed and the ECB raise inflation forecasts for the remainder of this year and next, and aggressively so in the ECB's case. The Fed declined to raise rates. I guess such was the fear of scaring a market that had listened to their previous messaging that had priced them to pause. But they did this, as I say, while upgrading all of their forecasts and raising terminal rate projections. The ECB did hike rates, again, as widely expected, and they suggested that a hike in July is pretty much certain. But it feels actually like both central banks maybe could have done a bit more, particularly given how aggressively their forecasts shifted on inflation. So I don't think this is going to be a topic that's going to go away, even if we thought it might. And particularly as we start the all-important summer holiday period where we were hoping to relax, I don't think it's going to go away because it all brings up other questions that we're going to talk about today. Things like the sources of inflation, what's driving it right now, and the effects that inflation and the policy response will have on markets. And I think it also calls into question policy frameworks as well, particularly for the Fed. So to talk through all of these things, I've brought back our resident price stats guru, as well as our head of macro strategy globally, Michael Metcalf. Michael, welcome back to Street Signals. Thanks, Tim. Let's start with the Fed and the ECB. This is just happening in the rearview mirror for us, but I think is going to reverberate for a couple more weeks, a couple more months probably to come. Um, And thinking about the messaging of their inflation forecasts, yet neither central bank really going beyond expectations on policy. Um, What what do you make of this? Why did they do this in this way, do you think? Well, you know, I'm I'm beginning to worry that we can only really think about inflation in the rearview mirror. And you thank thank goodness that we have price stats, which at least sees us where we are now. Uh, I mean, I think, look, as you said in the open, Tim, you know, I think the ECB in particular, uh, you know, moving their core inflation forecast up at year end uh, by 50, 50 basis points is, is is really, really quite a big move. I mean, I think it underlines, does underline what we've been seeing and what you, I know you've been writing about a lot this year about how, uh, particularly in the euro area, inflation has still looked really abnormal. Um, uh, you know, but the ECB's forecasts are now a little bit above where the market is, where other economists are forecasting. And so I think they've, and, and the other interesting part about it, actually, it wasn't just this year's forecast that went up it was next year's forecast also went up by 50 basis points. And so, you know, I think they're basically sending a very strong message that they think that 
uh, inflation is sticky. Uh, and you know, yes, it's coming down a little bit, but to n- levels nowhere near uh, you know, where they'll be comfortable with. Uh, and, and, you know, and the Fed also raised, but you know, not, not quite to the same degree as the ECB. So you know, I, I think that's the message that they're saying is actually that, look, you know, they've gotten inflation wrong uh, and they're, they're now you know, deeply troubled by the idea it's going to be more persistent. So how then do markets respond to this, not just right now, this week, but for the next couple of months? So in response to this, we're pricing basically one more Fed hike, no cuts now this year, or or very, very modest pricing for the potential for cuts. Markets are pricing for the ECB to get to 4% and then to stop. So a hike in July was priced basically before the meeting, and now pretty much a hike at the September meeting. But then, then they're done. Based upon those forecast revisions, do you think we need to start to consider, first and foremost, the, prob- the, the possibility of more? And then the second part of this is, does this ultimately, as it did last year, push risky assets really off the cliff here? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think just on the first point on cuts, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think clearly with inflation being stickier, uh, you know, we need to take the cuts out. And I think the market has you know, gotten some ways towards doing that. Um, you know, or, or, you know, at least this year, and and then then you know, obviously next year, you know, a lot can happen by the time we get to twenty four, and, and and maybe maybe the inflation trend will have changed by then. Um, but I think I think for the meantime, and and by this I mean you know certainly over the summer, um, you know, look, uh, you know, the the, the the Fed's kind of nailed it on the language here. You know, skip is the new pause, mm-hmm. um, and and I think you just and you know again as you said in the open, you know, the Bank of Canada. Uh, you know the RBA have provided really nice examples of central banks that we thought had, you know, were done and weren't. Um, and so, you know, I think any confidence that we're going to be anywhere near peak rates, you know, that I think upside risks remain. Um, and, and actually, just going back to the Fed, really interesting that you know after all the revisions to the inflation forecast, the upside risks, you know, where the where the FOMC participants view the risks of the inflation forecast are still on the upside. So, you know, I think you have to have the same mentality with rates. That the risks are on the upside, uh, and you know, to the extent that markets haven't discounted that, then yes, it's it's definitely something for risky assets to worry about. Yeah, and particularly the notion we, we've been talking about real money investors and the institutional investor indicators that we actually covered last week on the podcast, showing strong risk aversion already, strong underweight positioning. But does do we have a setup potentially? like we had last year where there's there's the magnitude of corrections on offer even if it's just a further 100 basis points say that we have to price in for the fed i mean is it, that sounds aggressive but relative to where we've come from and, and how far we've gone is that small change of say 100 basis points relative to the previous 500 cut up uh, basis points of hikes do you think that's a potentially really poor catalyst for risk yeah, I mean, I, I, look, look, I mean, clearly, we're, well, I'm going to say, I, I hope this is the case. We're clearly <laughs> nearer to the peak than we are to the trough. And, and, yes. and, and is, is the worst pass in terms of rates? You know, almost certainly it is. Yes. yes. Um, but I but I think at the margin, um, you know, if, if, if it turns out that, you know, our original view of terminal, uh, you know, was incorrect in a number of countries, um, you know, that probably, you know, as, as defensive as investors are, and, you know, I think of our institutional investor indicators, the key one probably is cash holdings, which is, yeah. it's a little above average, um, 
But boy, it's well below the peaks that we saw when investors get kind of really defensive. Just a few extra, you know, even if it's 25, 50 basis points, might be enough for investors just to stay in cash a bit longer or increase mm -hmm. those allocations a bit more. So, so yeah, no, I, I, I think it's still, you know, even though we can see the top of the hill, I think, um, you know, it's still a risk for, for, for asset markets. Interesting, interesting. Let's actually, I mean, we, we've kind of covered the recent events and the near-term future. Let's abstract though, and, and think at a little bit higher level. There's some work that Alberto Cavallo, for those of you listening, he's our research partner who is the founder of Price Stats. Um, he's done a lot of work really, I guess, over the last eight or nine months now across the panel of countries, the sort of two dozen different countries we look at, looking at the composition of the basket at a very granular level and looking for trend breaks at these very, very granular sub-index levels and capturing the proportion of the basket where you are seeing trend breaks towards disinflation slash deflation. Can you walk us through that work, particularly the recent updates on that? I mean, we're talking about inflation being problematic, but is it that way everywhere? Is there enough sense in some countries that it's looking a little bit yeah, and and this was a you know really terrific piece of work that you know he first presented back in uh, I think September actually at our, yeah. at our London research conference if I recall correctly, uh, and, and already back then it was showing and you know and, and you know to some degree it's about the breadth of the inflation trend because he's doing it in such a granular way. Mm. And in September he was you know able to detect the early parts of the disinflation trend, um, which you know as time's gone on, this is particularly true in the U.S. Um, you know, it's gotten a bit broader, you know, and even into core. So, you know, you know, more than half the weights of items that go into core um, were showing a inflection lower in the rate of inflation. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the, the, and, and, and by looking at the index level, you know, you kind of get rid of all the base effects. And, you know, that, if that's the one lesson in the last 18 months is just please don't try and forecast inflation <laughs> with base effects because <laughs> it doesn't work. And, and, and this work kind of gets over that. And, 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 and you really nicely captured the, the disinflationary trend that came through in the U.S. What it shows now, you know, we, we, you know the last update we had was through, uh, through towards the end of April. Um, it's still true in the U.S. that core inflation is disinflating. Uh, but it's just gotten a, a, you know, a, a, more than half the weights are disinflating. Mm. Um, but it, it, it's just a little bit less broad than it was. Um, and, and you see bits of that actually interesting in the official data. You know, we're, we're back to looking at used cars again and things like that and still waiting for rents to fall. Um, you know, so it's just become a bit, you know, the inflation question has become a bit narrower again. Um, and, and, you know, I think his work captures that. But it is, it is still intact. And I think the, in, the really fascinating thing is he's able to do this you know, obviously, price stats is collecting data across so many countries, uh, and, and he's done the work. Uh, you know, across over twenty of them, is the differences. And so you know, we kind of think that this is a global inflation trend that maybe the U.S. was out in front of. You know, actually, there are many different versions of this global inflation. You know, it isn't all global factors that are driving this. Um, and so, you know, particularly in the Europe, you know, we talk, maybe this is why the ECB probably saw this. Who knows? Uh, but <laughs> maybe that's why they're revising up their forecast because in Europe, actually. Uh, you know, the disinflationary trend, um, you know, more than half the weights weren't consistent with disinflation. And so that, you know, that that was troubling. Um, interestingly, uh, and obviously it's not impacting uh, the way they're making their decisions yet, but also in Japan, uh, you know, the, there's still more than half the weights um, weren't showing uh, disinflation. So, you know, it, it actually looks like the uh, the disinflationary trend that we've seen is actually really quite uneven. 
um, and his work captures that. So that on the one hand, there's some optimism from it. Uh, and then on the other hand, you know, I, you know, I think a, a bit of sobering realism that inflation in some countries looks like it's here to stay for now. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we haven't, we didn't even talk about the Bank of Japan. They, they declined to do anything other than continue to push a dovish message. Message. I think there's a little bit more about the currency. Maybe we can think about there that they they talked about or Ueda mentioned. Um, but yeah, the the Europe story especially is interesting because you have divergence across countries. It's not uniform, as is always the case with Europe. It's not one economy really. It's a collection. Where Germany, I think, on that trend break work was starting to look a little bit better, but Italy and Spain were not. And particularly, you look at things like hospitality. That is contributing, I think, twenty percent of eurozone core inflation on its own at the moment. So as you say, these reopening sectors, we all kind of thought, oh, this is going to go away. It hasn't. But that point on hospitality, the restaurant and hotel demand and used cars that you mentioned, these are demand side factors or have become demand side factors. I guess they were originally supply style inflation. How do we think about that now in terms of the composition of inflation? Is this really just all about resilient and robust demand or are supply chain issues still an overhang here. What's your take on this from some of the work you've done? Yeah, I mean, I mean you, intuitively, you would sort of assume that that is the case and it's all demand. And actually, I mean, I think I would start by, to answer it, you know, again, using a bit of work that Alberto did, uh, Alberto Caballo from Price Hats did during the, um, during the pandemic when he looked at the level of stockouts uh, as, as, as a kind of guide to supply side pressures. And you, know, you found that, you know, quite simply, you know, a lot of the goods simply weren't available to buy online, and that told you there were supply issues. Um, and you know, his his latest update on that is that you know the stockouts, um, you know, have have more or less normalized. So there's no doesn't seem to be that there's supply pressure coming from that side. Um, and, and then you look at kind of nice aggregate measures like the New York Fed's um, global supply chain index, which aggregates supply delivery times, prices paid, freight rates, uh, you know, you name it, uh, and, and that's fully normalized. Um, you know, we can use some of our media sentiment analysis to look at whether corporates are mentioning shortages in their earning statements. That's normalized. And so you think, okay, supply is done. And therefore, uh, you know, by process of elimination, what must be left is demand. Um, mm. But then, you know, I, I think that the final point I would just say, and it's a really nice bit of work by the San Francisco Fed, uh, that actually just, um, you know, they, they dig into the PC data, which of course, obviously the PC data uh, goes alongside uh, the calculation of the deflator, uh, and they ask a very simple question: is which is that you know for goods where the prices are going up and demand is above average, that's a uh, demand-driven price shock, um, and for uh, goods where the prices go up and demand isn't uh, rising above average, that must be therefore a supply shock. And curiously enough, in their decomposition of what they think is driving core PCE. Uh, whether it's demand or supply, they still find elements of supply. So mm. in other words, there are still categories of goods that are going up where it doesn't look like there's excess demand. Um, and, you know, I, I wonder actually whether that's just still some form of, uh, you know, uh, companies being confident in their margins uh, and, and are willing to pass on other costs like wage growth, which we know is still strong. So, you know, it, it, as much as we're tempted to say this is all demand, and look, it's a really important question because, if this much anticipated recession does finally come, then presumably demand will soften and inflation goes away. Um, but if there's still bits of this that are supply, uh, maybe inflation doesn't fully normalize. So I, th I think it's a really important thing to monitor. Uh, and you know, as I said, so far, it, it's slightly surprising uh, that there does seem to be elements of supply or cost push inflation coming through.
Yeah. And that brings me, I think, to the last question we have time for here, which is about how central banks think about this within their policy framework. And I'm thinking in particular, the Fed's policy shift that they made in 2020 towards average inflation targeting. This was, you know, we were, they, they, they kind of pre-messaged this, that something was going to change. I think by the time average inflation targeting was announced, it was pretty well assumed that was what was going to be announced. But you look at the Fed forecast, and especially after the meeting this week, where you see inflation being revised up, yet they still do in the dots have cuts coming. And those two, clearly, I don't think, under this framework at least, can't be consistent. You I, Basically, I think you need core inflation to be around 1% for the next couple of years to actually get the price level trend back towards an average rate of 2% for core PCE. So what's going to give here, do you think? Oh, goodness. I mean, look, we, we, we started talking about hindsight right at the start. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I bet they wish they didn't have that kind of target right now. But, but look, the, I think the interesting thing about it is that the way that the average inflation target is drafted um, is it's entirely asymmetric. And so, you know, they were very concerned about uh, low current inflation becoming embedded in expectations. And that was why they needed to subsequently let inflation overrun. Um, curiously enough, and I would assume that this was deliberate, there is no narrative at all about what the central bank should do if inflation is persistently above target and expectations start becoming embedded in the other direction, as mm-hmm. i.e. above 2%. Um, so, you know, I, I think it doesn't necessarily influence their policy per se because because of the way it's worded. However, um, I think what it does do in spirit is highlight the you know the the real importance of the path of expectations, um, and and that could be expectations from you know that could be economist forecasts, it could be market variables, but I think also importantly it's consumers, mm. uh, and I think I think here that's why. You know, the data going forward for things like the University of Michigan survey, I think, are crucially important. You know, we're, we're talking about the Fed, you know, taking this risk on skipping uh, and, and basically being data dependent. Um, you know, one of the bits of data that's going to be, you know, I'd say almost as important as current inflation in this period where they're, you know, where we where we keep thinking that we see the peak in rates. Uh, you know, one of the key bits of data that might decide whether they need to really keep going um, is is if they feel they're losing control of inflation expectations, uh, you know whether it be you know, like I said, it, I think any of those economic agents would matter. Probably the consumer, arguably, uh, might matter most. So I, I think that data is really important that it it shows that consumers are comfortable with the idea that the Fed has done enough to get inflation down in the future. Fantastic stuff, Michael. Look, in the words of Michael Corleone, just when I thought I was out with inflation, we get pulled back in. (laughs) Yes. In the words of Michael Metcalf, keep your eye on consumer inflation expectations and getting pulled (laughs) back in to following the Michigan survey, for goodness sakes. Michael, (laughs) thank you so much. It's been great to chat. Pleasure. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Street Signals from the research team at State Street Global Markets. This podcast and all of our research can be found at our web portal, Insights. There, you'll be able to find all of our latest thinking on macroeconomics and markets, where we leverage our deep experience in research on investor behavior, inflation, risk, and media sentiment, all of which goes into building an award-winning strategy product. If you're a client of State Street, hit us up there at globalmarkets.statestreet.com. We'll see you next time. 
This communication is provided by State Street Bank and Trust Company, hereafter referred to as State Street, and is for informational purposes only and is not intended to suggest or recommend any transaction, investment, or investment strategy. It does not constitute investment research, nor does it purport to be comprehensive or intended to replace the exercise of an investor's own careful, independent review and judgment regarding any investment decision. This communication and the information herein does not constitute investment, legal, or tax advice, and is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities or any financial instrument, nor is it intended to constitute a binding contractual arrangement or commitment by State Street of any kind. The information provided does not take into account any particular investment objectives, strategies, investment horizon, or tax status. The views expressed herein are the views of State Street as of the date specified and are subject to change without notice based on market and other conditions. The information provided herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable at the time of publication. Nonetheless, we make no representations or assurances that the information is complete or accurate, and you should not place any reliance on said information. State Street hereby disclaims any warranty and all liability, whether arising in contract, tort, or otherwise, for any losses, liabilities, damages, expenses, or costs, either direct, indirect, consequential, special, or punitive, arising from or in connection with any use of this communication and or the information herein. State Street or its affiliates may from time to time as principal or agent for its own account or for those of its clients have positions in and or actively trade in financial instruments or other products identical to or economically related to those discussed in this communication. State Street may have a commercial relationship with issuers of financial instruments or other products discussed in this communication. This communication may contain information deemed to be forward-looking statements. These statements are based on assumptions, analyses, and expectations of State Street in light of its experience and perception of historical trends, current conditions, expected future developments, and other factors it believes appropriate under the circumstances. All information is subject to change without notice. This communication or any portion hereof may not be redistributed without the prior written consent of State Street. Past performance is no guarantee of future results.